Hey guys, Lauren and Virginia here. We're so excited for this week's episode of Problematic Women. It's a little different than our normal format. We recorded live with our friends over at the Leadership Institute, and it's such a great episode. I think the live added to the excitement. We can't wait for you to hear it. I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. But of course, we can't do an episode without giving you all the Twitter question of the week. Thank you so much for everyone who's been tweeting at us. We really do love hearing from you all. It's one of the highlights of my week. So of course, we made the question this week Phyllis Schlafly related, since that's what the whole live show was about. So if you have been watching the Hulu series, please tweet at us. Let us know your thoughts. And maybe even if you have a favorite quote from Phyllis Schlafly, We would love to see that on Twitter as well. But be sure to tweet at the Daily Signal. Let's just at Daily Signal and then use the hashtag problematic women. That way we'll be able to see your comments and talk back with you. And we can even read that on the air. All right, let's go. Welcome to a special edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Today we are live with the Leadership Institute for a special event. Phyllis Schlafly, the original problematic woman. Everyone is talking about Phyllis Schlafly right now, and the Hulu miniseries Mrs. America. The show was meant to portray the life of the conservative leader and activist in her fight against the Equal Rights Amendment. So Lauren, I know that you have watched the show. What, what are your initial thoughts? What's your feedback so far? So it was beautifully shot. Uh, I think every scene is just really well done. The actors and actresses are very talented. I love Mad Men, and it has that feel of you are really immersed in the 1970s, and and getting to put yourself in that world and and kind of thinking through what life was like is always something I really enjoy, but that's probably where my compliments end. The writing was overdramatic, and at the top of the show, there was a warning that some scenes were true and some folks in the show were true, but some was made up. And that made me uncomfortable watching it and getting invested. And one scene might tug at my heartstrings, but at the end of the day, is, did that really happen? I don't, I don't really like that. But Virginia, what did you think? Did they yeah. represent the conservative side well? You, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was fascinated that they honestly, I don't feel like represent either side in a super favorable light. Um, they, I guess, maybe give more credit uh, to the left. But I guess maybe one positive uh, is that they do kind of bash the left as well as the right. I think, though, my main disappointment so far is I feel like that they made the character of Phyllis Schlafly um, a little bit flat. Uh, It's great acting, but it's just not the Phyllis Schlafly that I think we all have read about and know to be the true Phyllis Schlafly that she, though she was this really strong and courageous woman, she also had this really kind of tender and loving side to her. And that does not come through at all. So I don't know, watch it for yourselves. Let us know what you think on Twitter. But enough about what Lauren and I think. Uh, We are so excited to have two Phyllis Schlafly experts with us here today to tell us this true story of this OG problematic woman and what the Hulu series got right and what it got wrong and how Phyllis Schlafly's legacy is really still impacting women to this day. 
First up, we're talking with Kirsten Hassler, Executive Director of Eagle Form's DC office. Phil Schlafly founded the pro-family movement in 1972 and served as president of the Eagle Form from 1975 to 2016. We're excited to talk to the women who today is carrying on Schlafly's legacy. And then we will welcome Anne Schlafly Corey, Phyllis Schlafly's daughter, to the show to find out the true story of this conservative matriarch and just how accurate or inaccurate Hulu's Mrs. America series really is. <laughs> and of course, as always, we'll be crowning our problematic woman of the week. And be sure to stay with us because, again, at the end of the show, we're going to have an opportunity for you to ask questions of Anne Schlafly Corey about her mom or any other topic. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on iTunes and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, well, let's get to it. I already see Kirsten, you're on the line. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, ladies. I'm so excited to be here. Kirsten, you have a great deal of experience working in Washington, D.C. and on the Hill. Prior to joining the Eagle Forum, you worked in Governor Scott Walker's administration, and you also worked as the executive assistant and scheduler for former Congressman Keith Roffis. Mm -hmm. So, Kirsten, how did you first get involved with the Eagle Forum? So I'll just say, for my whole career, I've always wanted to be involved in politics because I feel so strongly that I want my children to live in a world that is better and upholds the rights that they've they were born into by being an American citizen. So that's why I love working in politics. And so I had my taste of actually being on the government side of things. And then once I had a baby, I was like, I cannot be in this. <laughs> it's too fast paced. There's no such thing as work life balance. So that's when I found Eagle Forum. And you know, Phyllis is kind of like the OG working mom, right? She's like a powerhouse. And she raised six wonderful children. And so I, it's been such a blessing that I did find Eagle Forum because I can have that balance. I can still be a working mom and have some time with my little guy um, at home. And, I, and one of the reasons why I loved Eagle Forum is because they didn't just preach pro-family values, but they really showed that to me by allowing me, you know, some flexibility to be able to, you know, work from home and go into meetings and adjust my schedule as needed. I mean, besides that, I mean, they, the values that they hold – being a pro-family organization, not only are they pro-women, but they also understand the importance of the foundation of our society, which is the family. And that affects every single issue that Congress and the White House and, and state governments are working on. So I don't know if that's, <laughs> I had known about Eagle Forum and I just was so happy to be able to work for them. Yeah, oh, it's so good. I love to hear that they are so strongly just continuing, yeah, the work that they really set out to do. So let's go back and talk a little bit about that history. You know, when, when Phyllis Schlafly first founded the Eagle Forum, what was really her central objective in doing so? Well, I think, and Anne can touch probably a little bit better on this for me, but from a perspective of actually not knowing Phyllis, I can give you that view. And so I think the big thing for Phyllis is that she was the first person who said, you know, no, not all women are in line with what liberal feminism is telling us. And 
specifically in terms of that, it was the Equal Rights Amendment. So not all women are for the Equal Rights Amendment. And what she did was give an alternative to that discussion and that dialogue and give women a platform to be informed about what the Equal Rights Amendment was, what the Equal Rights Amendment would do if enacted, and then how to interact with your senators and your congressmen and your state governments. So she's, Anne always says, you know, she's famous for giving an elevator speech. She helped train a lot of women on how to give a 90-second or less speech on a specific topic so that when they were explaining something, they felt very confident in doing so, and they had the tools and the knowledge to do so. So for those who have seen Mrs. America, they saw the founding of the Eagle Forum, which was founded as Stop ERA. How has the organization evolved throughout the years? Yeah, so I'll just say Eagle Forum doesn't just do the Equal Rights Amendment. Phyllis touched on every single topic you could possibly think of, because like I said before, pro-family issues do affect everything. So I think some of the big things that we've worked on has been socialism, of course, we, you know, the Violence Against Women Act or, we're, or abortion issues. But besides that, also marriage and limited government, taxing, it touches on all kinds of different stuff, but the model has stayed the same. Phyllis always relied on her state leaders, which she affectionately called her eagles, to do a lot of the work for her. Because if you're familiar with Washington, your voice goes a lot farther if you hear it from your constituent rather than a Washington insider. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and like you said, Phyllis, she she did such an amazing job of organizing people and training those women and really uh, starting that grassroots organization. Uh, and that's something that I think we could probably use a lot more of today. What lessons can we learn about grassroots activism from Phyllis Schlafly? I think one of the great lessons that she's taught us is that you don't have to be a highly educated person to do great things and to impact policy. So I would say, don't undersell yourself. If you don't feel confident in an issue, go and find some resources to to fill that void. And in an Eagle Forum, we would love to do that for you. Um, one of the things, like what I would say, one of my roles is to help you be informed on certain policies, specifically affecting the federal level. So I don't know. So we send out action alerts. So for example, we sent one out today on, on one of the coronavirus supplementals that the Senate may be passing soon. If that's something you really wanted to get involved in, coming to our website or another organization's website who specializes in that niche, that's where you can really get the information needed. And, and Phyllis did that for people. So Kristen, what kind of programs does Eagle Form have for either college students or even younger students? So I would say we have Student Eagles, which is, I think it's, it's geared towards high school students, and I'm sure college students could do it as well. But one thing that I'm really excited about that Eagle Form has taken on this past year, so just, just since January, is we've started a podcast, not like, unlike your guys's, <laughs> called Engage with Eagle Forum. And so we do have a lot of older eagles and a lot of, um, you know, moms who are probably, you know, 35 and up, but we want to engage the younger audience, girls that are in college or they're just graduating and, and, and give them a foot into the door into policy because it's overwhelming amount of news that we hear every day. You guys know that. <laughs> and, and just what's true and what's wrong and help them to decipher through all that so that they can come up with an actual decision on, okay, this is what I believe and this is why. Yeah, that's so good. All right, last question we want to ask you. What, uh, we, we love to ask all of our guests that come on the show this question. Do you consider yourself to be a feminist? Why or why not? I would say I'm an anti-feminist. <laughs> um, just because I don't 
like to align with, when I think of the term feminist, unfortunately, it's been hijacked by the liberal left. And so I, um, I, I think that there are great distinctions between men and women and that we complement each other. I think that there's something beautiful about being a mother and that that is, the, that is a gift that God gave to only women. And so I guess, I mean, I guess I'm a feminist because I celebrate my femininity, but the term has just been so disjointed and it doesn't mean what I think that it should. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally understand that. Well, and before we let you go, I do, I do just want to say thank you for, for carrying on that legacy of Phyllis Schlafly that um, is so, so important. And we, we need more of that. We need, uh, I think, just kind of more of that unity between the older generation and now the new generation and passing that mantle um, in your opinion, what, what does it really mean to you to continue that legacy of Phyllis Schlafly? Well, I'll just say Anne, her daughter, is uh, the Eagle Forum's chairman. And ever since I joined Eagle Forum, she has been a real-life example of Phyllis's commitment to empowering women. You know, when I came on, I, I didn't feel qualified to be writing or to be making these, these policy decisions. And, you know, she said, I believe in you and you're hired for this job for a reason. And we're going to give you like our name to do the best job that you can and we will help you through it. Um, so I think, I think it's that it's instilling confidence in, in, in being a mentor in being in, in finding younger people or even older people to say, I know that you can do this. You should do it. And here's why. And just really continuing to empower next generation to find their voice and to fight. for what I love that. I love that. And I love, it's like, it's women empowering women throughout the generations. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's so good. Uh, Kirsten, we just so appreciate you being here and we so appreciate the work that you're doing. Where can our listeners go to find out more about what you're up to, what the Eagle Forum is up to? So we're active on Twitter. Um, We also have a website called MrsAmerica.org that serves as a real platform on who the real Phyllis was. We have resources on, you know, debates that she did, but also on op-eds that we've written and all the policy um, views that she had. So that if you are looking for some place to find the truth about who Phyllis was, compared to as she's portrayed in the FX Hulu series, Mrs. America, that's a great resource to go to. Um, we also will be sharing information from that webpage on Eagle Forum's main website, eagleforum.org, and on our Facebook pages as well. Well, Carson, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Keep on carrying on. <laughs> I really appreciate it. So we're going to take a quick break, but I wanted to tell you about another exciting event that the Leadership Institute is hosting this week. Ambassador Nikki Haley will be doing a webinar to discuss defending free speech on college campuses and speak directly to conservative student leaders and answer their questions a lot. Ambassador Haley is not afraid to stand for American principles, and she understands that those principles and the young conservative leaders who stand up for them are under constant attack from leftist professors and administrators who aim to indoctrinate students. The event is this Thursday at 8 p.m., and you do not want to miss this. Make sure you register at leadershipinstitute.org. Certainly going to mark my calendar for that. For that. (laughs) That'd be great. All right. Well, we are so incredibly just honored and excited for our next guest. Um, in just a moment here, we're going to be welcoming uh, the daughter of Phyllis Schlafly to the show, Anne Schlafly Corey. 
um, and she is such an incredible leader. Uh, I think she's still getting on, so we're going to wait just a moment for her. But, you know, one of the things in, um, in watching the, the Hulu series that I'm just really excited to find out from Anne is just that, that inside personal perspective of what it was, you know, actually like to kind of sit down and watch the quote-unquote um, truth of, uh, of your life and your mother's life played out. Uh, and how that actually compares to the reality of the show. Uh, and I've had a great time over the past couple of weeks just researching Phyllis Schlafly a little bit and her life and her legacy. And one of the things that I think I've personally been most encouraged by is just the fact that, uh, that she had such, Phyllis Schlafly had such a powerful understanding of the role of women and that it was 100% okay for women to kind of do everything, but do it in seasons of their life. And I know uh, as conservative women, sometimes we can feel like, oh, I have such a role that I want to play in the home and with my kids, but I also want to have, you know, some sort of career. Um, and I think that the most, one of the most powerful messages uh, that Phyllis Schlafly really put forth was you can sort of in a way do it all, um, but maybe that's going to look like various seasons um, and that there's kind of, there's a beautiful balance in all of that. And you don't have to sacrifice being a mother and being a good wife and being a homemaker um, for, you know, maybe choosing to later in life go on and, and have that career. Um, and if you choose to just stay at home, that, that there's no, uh, that there's no harm in that. One really interesting thing that I, I found is that uh, Phyllis did not, she wasn't like married at 18 and then went directly into the home. She actually, her mother was a librarian. She had to work to support their family. Um, and her mother and father really instilled a great sense of uh, pride in education and the knowledge for learning. So Phyllis actually, during World War II, got a job in an ammunition factory. And it would be her job to test the ammunitions uh, and she used that job to put herself through college. So, um, you That's know, she did. Yeah, she's definitely a lot more. I think uh, the, those on the left and, and those creating the show want to just only kind of think of her in her apron, which she definitely is very proud of and, and definitely researching her, um, took her role as a homemaker very seriously. But definitely she's so multifaceted. And I think that's what Virginia and I's major disappointment in the show is that that lack of depth that they didn't show, you know, she was just cold and she didn't really care that much about her family. And she didn't really, you know, she wasn't fulfilled by her marriage and all those things are, are just blatantly false. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, it, it's disappointing to see Hollywood just kind of uh, take their own angle on it. Um, but we're, we're so excited that we get to have that yeah. inside scoop and inside glimpse into yeah. it. Uh, and well, I, Virginia, let's um let's start with the show. Like, let's start with episode one and kind of talk about how the show segment minute it out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I I think it begins um, with sort of showing how Schlafly she was really just kind of living her life in Illinois, and she had this political experience. Uh, but it was actually in the show they portray it that a friend of hers was the one that told her about the Equal Rights Amendment, and that kind of kicked off then 
um, this whole journey with her friends, that it was very much an operation that happened in, in unity, that it wasn't just Lathley out there on her own. She was working with friends and, and colleagues to push forward uh, and in really creative ways. Like I, I love, I, I will say this, I love about the show that they, they, really take the opportunity to kind of show you how they did the grassroots organizing, that they were literally like picking up their phones, writing hundreds of handwritten letters. Um, and I, I do find that interesting because today, obviously we're so privileged to have the internet and be able to, you know, do organizing uh, so much easier through email, uh, mass emails, that they literally for every single person that they reached out to, they were, you know, writing these letters, making these personal phone calls. And I think that's why uh, their outreach was so effective. Yeah, it's, it's funny, like, we don't think about, you know, we send an email, we BCC everyone. Well, I hope everybody BCCs everyone, but they literally had to like type every letter, and then use like a weird contraption that would like, basically like lick the envelope for you and then stuff the letter, which is just crazy to think. I mean, even all these LI activists on the, the line, they know, you know, it, it Activism has changed so much, but the idea of getting the message out is so similar. No, it really is. That, it's like the principle hasn't changed, but the method for doing it has. Um, and Lauren, I know, you know, as we were talking about the show, uh, they, uh, they really do portray the women's movement and the left uh, in an interesting light, I'll say. Um, you know, there, there are definitely elements where I think they they let that truth shine through, which I was pleased to see that they did. Uh, but it was fascinating to me how quickly they went to the abortion argument. They wasted no time that really it was like at the end of the day, the ERA, uh, and that's that foundation of the women's movement, really seemed to be all about abortion. And they had in the show, they had no shame about hiding that whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, no, um, Gloria Steinem was talking to George McGovern, and, and she said, you got to support abortion, and he goes, I can't do that, and he, she goes, well, what about reproductive rights, and he goes, well, that's a good way of putting it, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, they just show how blatantly they're, they, all they care about in its abortion, this is the center of everything that they do is abortion, it's not about equality. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's enlightening to see uh, that at the end of the day, that really is the mission and the target. Um, and I so, I so firmly believe that if we had the science uh, that we have today, uh, when Roe v. Wade was passed, it would not have been passed. But really wild to see those kind of initial stages. And um, there was one scene in, uh, I think maybe it was the second episode, Lauren, that we talked about. It was really interesting where Gloria Steinem, who really was the leader so much so of the women's movement, interacted on the street with a woman who had had an abortion. And it was really an emotional scene, maybe one of the most emotional scenes in the show so far in these first three episodes that have been released. And there was just an obvious emotional connection between them, both having had abortions. But Lauren, as you said, you kind of took pause we're like, well, wait, is she upset that she had the abortion or is she upset because the abortion was illegal? And you sort of feel like, okay, there's probably the reality is that, you know, there's grief there. 
because of having had the abortion. Um, but it was, it was interesting how they framed that. Yeah, it was super interesting because, you know, it was like two women on the street really coming together. It was supposed to be like a really moving plot point. But I think most women and most people who watch the show, you know, don't immediately jump to, oh, she's so sad because she had to have an abortion in a hotel room. She was sad because it was a life taken from her. And I think uh, Inez Stepman over at the Federalists wrote a really great article about this, is that a lot of these attack points that the liberal producers had on uh, the show was really interpreted, I think, by most Americans as, you know, the, Phyllis was totally right. Like, why, why is this an issue? You know, when she's talking to Phil Donahue and she brings up that, you know, the ERA will cause women to have to register for the draft. It could be the end of the Girl Scouts. It could be, you know, the end of single-sex bathrooms and gender-neutral bathrooms. And, and Phil Donahue at the end took her aside and was like, lady, you're, you're peddling lies. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but this all came true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's the bizarre thing. And I've been watching the show um, with my parents. I'm home in Boston right now with my mom and dad and they, they lived this. I mean, they, um, they were just starting their careers uh, in the early seventies. And my dad was actually working in Washington DC during this time. And it's kind of really, really fascinating just seeing their perspective uh, on, you know, the accuracies and the inaccuracies, um, but how that whole debate really played out. And um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to when you actually start kind of digging and finding the truth. Uh, and I definitely encourage everyone watching to go check out that piece on the Federalist um, maybe later this week, because it's, it really is good from Inez and they've written several great pieces on the show, but I think really kind of pull apart some of those truths and what the show got right and got wrong. So it, it's really, really fascinating. And we're still seeing that today. We're still seeing that with the Women's March. We're still seeing the left just assuming that all women think one way. And they, they don't want to take the time to, to really learn the nuances because they just want to put you under a big blanket. You know, they don't really want to take time to look at the individual liberties and rights of each person. Yeah, well, I think so much of that, it's just an assumption, like we talked about at the beginning of, you know, why, why we do what we do, why we have this show. It's so much, uh, you know, part of our goal to show that not all women think the exact same way. And that's okay. You know, we're human. And part of what makes any society free is that that difference of opinions. And to say, if you're a woman, you have to think dot, dot, dot. Um, first of all, I feel like that's just highly, highly degrading of women and our intelligence. So uh, uh, it was, it truly was um, people like Phyllis Schlafly that kind of, I think, even more so gave women the permission to have a really powerful voice and one that was eloquent and uh, one that was very intelligent and that had strong arguments and that wasn't just angry because Lauren, like you said, the, the women's movement, I think that's often what we see from them is, is just this very bitter. I'm really upset that I don't have X and I'm really upset that this was done to me. And 
<laughs> so little is actually accomplished by that. Um, you know, true power and true effective change does come about when we when we pause and when we recognize the things that we do have and we work with what we have. It takes that positivity that I think you get a lot more done when you're actually looking at what you do have and then moving forward from there. Virginia, I want to pivot to another point of this part of this documentary is Kate Blanchett's portrayal of Schlafly. We, you know, we talked at the top about how the acting in this is just, I think, top of the line in terms of the, the skill of these folks. It is great, but I think what Kate is missing is the warmth of Phyllis Schlafly. And I, I was watching an interview actually just this morning, kind of like last minute prep. And it was really sad the way that she was talking about Schlafly. She said, quote, Phyllis was such a lone wolf, I found it quite lonely, and she didn't have any close friends. And she even mentioned that on the set, she felt like she had to stay in character and, like, not hang out with the other cast members. And I just thought that was such a weird assumption to make and kind of a weird part of herself to push onto the uh, Phyllis's character. That's really fascinating. And to me says that she felt like there was such a divide between who Phyllis Schlafly was and the women's movement, not just in in principle, but almost like an, an emotional divide. Like we can't even be friends off of screen for the sake of staying in character. Uh, and again, I, I think, wow, my guess, and we'll ask Anne here in a minute when she comes on, we'll find out more, but my guess that, you know, in reality, Phyllis Schlafly was, was very much willing to have those dialogues and those conversations. And we saw that, you know, she, she was, uh, you know, stood on stage and, and debated with members um, of the women's movement and really wanted to engage in an actual discussion uh, instead of, you know, just sort of argument for argument's sake. And it looks like we have Anne with us now. Yay, Anne! <laughs> we'll see if she can hear us. Technology is always exciting during the coronavirus times to <laughs> navigate these things. Anne, are you able to hear us? I can. Can you hear me? Uh, we can. Thank you I'm, so much for being here. Well, I apologize for my technical difficulties. No. Oh, goodness. We had a great discussion about the, uh, the show while we were waiting. We did, but we're really excited to actually get your expertise on it. I think they have an, the producers uh, have an agenda, and there was a, an image that they wanted to present. And if you notice, it's, I mean, one of the things is that I, I immediately saw in the first uh, um, couple of episodes was, did you have any idea that sex in marriage is terrible and unhappy, and sex outside <laughs> of marriage is exciting and fun? Yep, I picked up on that for sure. (laughs) So yes, they have an agenda. They sure do. Well, and before we get into, you know, really the nitty gritty of talking about the show, I did just want to give you an opportunity to talk about, you know, what is it like to see your mom inspire a a whole TV show and to kind of like see your childhood put on display? Well, it is exceptional. And she was exceptional. And think about it. She came from nothing. 
she educated herself, but she lived in a very small town in the middle of flyover land. She was never elected to any office. She never held a government position, yet she had enormous power and influence over a 50-year career. Is that not inspiration or what? Oh, it truly And is. so now, four years after her death, Hollywood still sees her as a threat. And I believe they see her as a threat because conservative women still admire her, follow her, and are motivated by her. I think one of the overlooked things, and it's overlooked in this movie, my mother mentored women. The movie shows her as quite condescending to her supporters, and it was actually the opposite. She mentored women to get up, get out, and get involved. And many, I know many women who started their own organizations because Phyllis told them to. So Anne, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us about a perspective that only you could tell us about. What was it like growing up Catholic in Illinois and being one of Phyllis's six children? And what was your childhood home really like? Well, they did get the details very right in that childhood home because I was even down to the tea kettle was exactly a replica of the tea kettle in our kitchen. It was kind of almost kind of creepy there. Uh, <laughs> but I, I am the youngest uh, in the family. So I am portrayed as the one who won't go to bed and insists on sitting on her lap, which was true. That actually did happen. Uh, and um, and it's certainly for me, my mother's office was the center of our house. She did all of her work at home, I mean, I guess kind of what we're all doing now today is working from our home office, and it was a beehive of activity. And I think they got that kind of right, how much activity was going on, because she was industrious, and the phone was always ringing. And she, I mean, back then, the way you communicated with people was either telephone or or postal mail, and they were uh, always done, and the phone was always ringing. And as the youngest, I got to be involved in everything and on the front line, and it was great fun. I recommend everyone to have a childhood where your mother is incredibly active and involved. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, you know, so much of the world does view Phyllis Schlafly as this powerhouse of a woman because she was, you know, she stood so firmly against the Equal Rights Amendment. And, uh, you know, throughout the, the 1960s, 70s and 80s and beyond, I mean, she had such a, a powerful presence in that political sphere. Um, but, you know, to you, she was your mom. Mm -hmm. If you could describe her maybe in just a few words, how would you describe her? Well, I, I think another thing that the, she, she was a powerhouse, and I think that's because she had integrity. You, nobody ever had to guess what her opinion would be on any subject. You knew where she stood, and you knew uh, what her opinions were, which there was no wiffle-waffing or, or flaking around on something, or she never said, I don't know. She always knew what the answer would be. So as a child, I, 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 shall we say there was never a negotiation about curfew. It was what it was, and that was it. So you just have to accept that. But I, I do say that having such a strong and firm mother meant that 
I always knew what was, you know, what the lines were. There was no, you, I, I knew that I had to color inside the lines. Now, the, the other aspect that I think is missed was her warmth. I believe that Kate Blanchett portrays her as very chilly. And you can't inspire women or lead a movement if they find you cold and power hungry. And that she was not. She did not stand on ceremony. And everybody called her Phyllis. Uh, and so she was quite, she had a familiarity. And I found that people could always come to her with the, uh, their problems. And she was always had an ear to listen to people's and their problems and tried to help them. And, and I, I had a very warm and close relationship with my mother. And I know I didn't do everything right throughout my life. I think there were things that she wished I hadn't done or things that she wished I had done. But she was always supportive and encouraging. And I think that's what one of her leaders said to me the other day. She said, I always called her Phyllis the Encourager. Aww. So, Anne, we talked about a little bit before that your mother put herself through college. Uh, she was very intelligent, earning her bachelor's from Washington University and her master's in government from Radcliffe College. How did she get so interested in the political space? Well, it's kind of funny how she got interested. She, she didn't, her family had no money to send her to college, so she had to work her way through college. And so she worked a manual labor job, and it was an early evening shift. And so the only classes she could fit in her schedule were political science classes. And that's why it became her major, because that's, that was how it fit in. And once she got into it, she thought it was very interesting. In the 1960s, you know, the women's movement was really, uh, and then leading into the 1970s, was really strongly advocating for the Equal Rights Amendment, um, which, uh, you know, was really intended in their minds to bring about this gender equality into the law. So then in 1972, the Equal Rights Amendment, or the ERA, passed both the House and the Senate by an overwhelming majority. And, but in order for the bill to actually become law, it needed to be ratified by 38 states within seven years, or it would die. What did your mom see in the ERA that so concerned her and that she recognized was such a threat to American women and to America as a whole? I think the idea of equality of rights sounds so simple, and how could you be against it? But you have to follow the train of thought to what it, how the implications would be. And if you erase any distinction on the basis of sex, well, women lose at that point, because there are a number of laws and customs that are there for the benefit of women, and, and it a change in making men and women interchangeable in every situation is a harm to women. Now, the arguments in the 1970s, a lot of them centered around the military, the draft and combat duty. But today, the, way, the reason why Eagle Forum is still opposed to the idea that men and women have no distinction, no biological distinction, is because the most vulnerable women would be harmed. And so if you look at uh, schools, athletics, correctional institutions, women's shelters, any place where women have a safe space and privacy is threatened if you cannot make a distinction on the basis of men and women. There are true biological differences between men and women. And yes, you, can, you can say that they don't exist, but you're fooling yourself. 
And it's crazy in the show when she brings up those ideals and, and says, you know, if, if you take away the distinction between men and women, this will happen. Everybody kind of treats her like she's crazy. Like, where are you getting that from? <laughs> but it's funny, like history shows that, that that's what happened, you know? Well, I always thought she was quite prescient, you know, that she could see where, where these radical ideas would take us. And, and it is true that she saw this amendment, the movement, and I think it's portrayed in the movie as really a movement of elite women, and that the women that she knew in the heartland would be the ones who would bear the brunt of the results. The show, three of the nine episodes have released. How much of those three of the nine episodes have you seen? And then I want to kind of know about what before seeing the show did you did you know? Did the producers give you kind of any screeners cuts? Did they allow you to give any advice? I was not involved in the production. I asked, I tried, and recently I read from one of the producers that they very much did not want to talk to any family member. Because, you know, why confuse yourself with the facts when you already have your mind made up of exactly how you're going to portray Phyllis Schlafly? But the... The part that, so I, I did watch it all when it came out, and, and the part that I think is, is really unfair to the supporters and volunteer followers of Eagle Forum was how they portrayed the women of Eagle Forum. And, you know, they very carefully do these very specialized portraits of, of the feminist leaders, some of whom people don't even remember, but instead, they make up a fictional, several fictional characters to drive the drama on the side of the conservative women. Now, there are a number of fabulous conservative women that they could have made a true portrait of, but instead they wanted to make these composite figures. And in some way, and, and, and I think they're quite slanderous in how they present them. Uh, I mean, for example, you know, they make up this character named Mary Frances, who's allegedly a leader from, from Louisiana, and she's racist. Well, the leader from Louisiana was Charlotte Felt, and she was not. I mean, they just, you know, they could have, they could have done their research on these true, wonderful women. And then they go after my Aunt Eleanor, which was kind of comical, because Eleanor was very involved in conservative Catholic organization fighting communism. And what to me, if you've seen it, it, is what was comical to me is that when Phyllis and Eleanor were in a room together, Eleanor dominated. Eleanor was one of the most forceful women I've ever known, and they made her into a wallflower. So, so they didn't have a desire for the truth. They had a desire for their version of rewriting history. Mm, that's so sad, but I'm so glad that we're getting the true inside story <laughs> from you today. So you mentioned a little bit about some of these other women that were really working arm in arm with your mom. How well did the show kind of capture that dynamic and how your mom actually worked with these women who were moms and housewives and maybe didn't have a formal education, but really trained them to be such uh, powerful spokeswomen for women? She did train them, and that was a key part of what she did. There's a scene where it shows her getting a call from an, uh, uh, an eagle in um, Oklahoma 
who uh, says, we won, we won. And my mother is shown there is quite dismissive of her and non-supportive, which is not at all. If when my mother got calls like that, she jumped up for joy and said, you know, let's tell your story to everybody else so they can be encouraged by it. But the training was essential. My mother learned, as I always said, she had a three minute speech. If you can't get your point across in three minutes, you're not able to make your point. You've got to learn your language, uh, hone your skills to say it in three minutes, because that's the only amount of time anybody will ever listen to you. And she used to have training sessions where she would um, film her eagles making their three-minute speech, and then, we'd, and then we would watch them and critique them, and then they'd try it again until they would get it better. You know, she would have them... Uh, uh, learn how to dress and present themselves for the camera so they, they would look their best on camera. And, and so the training of people was critically important to her success because she knew she couldn't make the argument in every state legislature. Uh, she needed an army of women in each legislature to make the argument. So you, she duplicated herself, in, in other words. I always remember one eagle who said, that she would play the tapes, uh, cassette tapes. Uh, back then when you could pop a cassette tape in your car, she would play these cassette tapes of, of my mother's speeches and memorize them so she could say them just right when she would go out to do her lobbying and she would have her facts all lined up. So, so that kind of encouraging and training was a hallmark of how she motivated and had success across the country. I sure didn't see that on the bickering and infighting of the feminist side. I don't think they were training up future leaders. So if your mom was alive, what do you think she would think about the show? Well, I think she would use it as an opportunity to get her message across. (laughs) I, I mean, because it is. A lot of people will see this movie who've never heard of the fights of the 1970s and may think the idea of equal equality of rights sounds pretty good. And so I believe this is a fabulous opportunity to say, don't be a victim. Don't fall prey to victimhood ideology, but put yourself out there and you too can make a success of your life. So good. And thank you so much. Now, please stay with us. We're going to take a really quick break. uh, But then when we come back, we're going to be doing some audience Q&A with you. Here at The Daily Signal, your safety is of the utmost importance to us. We want to make sure you have the best information on how you can protect yourself and your family from the coronavirus. Here's an important message from Dr. Deborah Burks, head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, explaining how communities across America are successfully flattening the curve. I think all of you can see from the data that is coming out from phones moving around that there are areas of the countries that are really following this guidelines. The people are staying home. They're not grouping together. Of course, this does mean that you can't have parties for 10 people even. You need to really stay home, really ensure you're following the guidelines. And when we see people are doing that, like in California and Washington, we're seeing that they haven't had these large outbreaks. So that's what you're preventing. We know that can happen. And we really appreciate each and every one of you for what you have done. And we're asking you to do it for another 30 days. Welcome back. Before we get to questions for Anne, it is my favorite time of the week when we choose our problematic woman of the week. 
All right, well, this one is a little bit obvious, but we're thrilled to crown Phyllis Schlafly as the Problematic Woman of the Week. You know, one of the great things that I think about the fact that Mrs. America came out now is hopefully with the extra time people have on their hands, they're not only watching the show, but they're taking the time to do some research and find out who this woman really was, or like yourselves who are joining us today on the webinar, you took the time uh, to find out live right here with Anne the truth. There's so many great resources out there, so many wonderful, wonderful articles that have been written, and YouTube even has uh, a lot of actual footage of Phyllis Schlafly speaking at various events and, and on the news, so definitely check those things out. All right, let's get to questions. Virginia, who do you have first? Okay. All right. So, Anne, uh, it looks like a lot of these are for you, which we love. So, first one comes from Charles McCaslin. He says, how did Phyllis Schlafly, as a Catholic conservative activist, forge alliances with previously apolitical evangelical women in the fight against the ERA? This is a critical uh, element of her success, and I think it's one that's frequently overlooked. Normally, people congregate with their own tribe, and they don't get to know people outside their tribes. And it was, it was highly unusual, the idea that Catholics, evangelical Christians, Latter-day Saints, Orthodox Jewish people, it was unusual that they would get together and agree and join the same organization. And yet that is what happened. Uh, because my mother had a great line. She would say, you may believe that the person you're sitting next to will not be saved, but you're going to work together on this issue. And so that creating these alliances across the, the religious spectrum to say, there are issues that you agree on and you're more powerful if you work together. That was the start of the pro-family uh, religious movement and that so impacted our politics in the late 70s and early 80s. Our next question comes from Jillian Kinder. She says, hi, Virginia Lauren, longtime listener of the podcast. So side note. Any nice things moves you up in the queue. I have, a, <laughs> I have a question for Anne. When I talk to liberals and progressives about the gender wage gap and the balance that women choose in their lives, I'm often attacked for wanting women to stay in the kitchen or being okay with discrimination. How would you answer this accusation or rephrase the argument in order to avoid these accusations? So we have equal pay for equal work uh, since 1963. And when, when the, these compilations are made of the so-called gender wage gap, it's an average across the whole board. It's not a single job uh, where one man is, is paid X and another man, a woman is paid 83 cents of X. That's not the way it is. It's an averages across the board. And if you work 60 or 80 hours a week, yes, you are going to make more money than if you work 20 or 30 hours a week. And, and I think it is um, naive to think that, that women don't make different choices on how they want their work-life balance. And for most of the women I know, having a flexible schedule is the single most important important factor in a job and they will trade money for flexibility of schedule and why because they prioritize their family in their life and aren't we all benefit when women prioritize their family well katrina kenlin 
asked the question, what is the biggest piece of advice you think Phyllis would want young women to know today? Oh, it's definitely don't be a victim and don't fall prey to victim ideology. The feminist movement, and this was true in the 70s and it's still true today, says because you were born a woman, you are a victim and you are and you will have a challenging life Um, and, and that there's sexism against you and that you will have a hard time succeeding. But that's not the case. I mean, look at the incredible number of successful women, not only now, but successful women throughout uh, for, for decades and decades that we've had in the United States. And their success was because they had a positive attitude towards life. They didn't say, I'm a victim and the deck is stacked against me. We have so many great questions coming in. And thanks to LI, they said we could go a couple minutes late. So feel free to keep getting them coming in. Uh, this next one is from Abigail Culp. She says, the first episode implies that Phyllis stood up against the ERA to curry political favor for her own ambitions. Can you speak to her motivations to launch such a strong movement and how she expected it to affect her political career? So the reason my mother got into politics was because she wanted to save America. She did not get into politics in order to boost her own ego. That's just not who she was. She, her beliefs came from her faith. Her faith formed everything that she believed in politics. And so when this women's movement came along, she didn't oppose it because she thought it was an opportunity. She opposed it because she thought it would fundamentally change the relationship between men and women and go against her faith in God. While Manfred went, he writes, do you think that Phyllis Schlafly is properly remembered by the movement? He says, you know, she's often mentioned uh, in regards to the ERA or the Eagle Forum. But uh, what's, what's your opinion, Anne? Do you think that your mom's legacy is, is properly remembered today? Yes, because we're talking about it right now today. <laughs> Isn't this fabulous? Isn't this the proof that it is? And I just, the, um, certainly there are a lot of women I've talked to who were directly in influenced by her. But now I think we're getting into women who were had, uh, younger women who are indirectly influenced by her. And so, yes, so there's, I, she's not going away. And that's why Hollywood wants to bring her down. So an anonymous attendee asked, how can a working parent incorporate learning lobbying efforts into a schedule with young adults? Well, I think that's always a question about time management. It's hard, but uh, you always prioritize what you feel most strongly about. And I'd say there are always issues that get people off the sofa and say, I've got to talk to my legislator about this today. And usually those are the issues that directly affect you, your family, your pocketbook, and, um, and your faith. Sandra Gust, uh, she says, hello from the great state of Wyoming. So wonderful getting to know your mother, Anne, via the wonderful internet. Now, how can I become an eagle way out here in the wild, wild west? Well, isn't that wonderful? I love that. Well, our website is eagleforum.org, O-R-G. We invite you to become a member. We have a network of chapters across the country. We're mostly a volunteer organization. We do have an office in Washington, D.C., so we can keep tabs on the mischief there. 
And then our national headquarters is in Alton, Illinois. So I invite anyone to get involved. We send out a um, monthly um, snail mail newsletter, and then we send out emails every day on the burning issues of the day to try to keep everyone informed. So we have a time for about three more questions, and this one is from Anna Castro. Since this Hulu show is so blatantly anti-conservative women, should you actually watch it and improve their ratings? Well, I felt required to watch it because I wanted to speak from a position of this was true, this was false. But I do think it, I mean, it's a very uh, well done production. The, the costuming is fabulous. And so you have quite an entertainment on that. But it is an opportunity to say, this is what they're so concerned about. Because one of the things that was interesting to me is how much time they devoted to abortion. They make it clear that abortion is the central, the only issue for the feminists of the 1970s and the feminists of today. And that is a lesson for all of us to remember. Kat T. wrote in and asked, what is the most important advice Phyllis would give to women who have been given the opportunity to speak and advocate? How did she believe that women should present themselves most effectively in the media or in the public square? With style, grace, graciousness, and charm. (laughs) And keep a smile on your face the whole time. Nobody ever had to tell my mother to smile. She was a model of how to dissent with courtesy. And I think that's something for all of us to remember that, you know, she never shouted, she never uh, uh, jumped up and down, but with grace and style, she was always poised and confident. And that is a way your presentation can help you with your message. Because don't be messy, be sharp. You know, my mother she always had her hair and dress done. I mean, she never wore, I never saw her in pajamas in the house. I mean, on Saturday morning when she dressed to go to the um, uh, supermarket, she was dressed as if she could be on uh, TV for a TV interview because she, she said, you always be prepared. You never know when you are going to be interviewed <laughs> on TV. So Jillian Kinder uh, asked, what is one thing that young grassroots activists can learn from your mother's activism? Don't think that it is an impossible battle. So when my mother started against fighting the Equal Rights Amendment, not only uh, were the Democrat and the feminists against her, but also her Republican president, two other presidents, the party platforms of both parties, uh, the Hollywood culture, the popular culture, all the newspapers, all the magazines, every one of them said, we want this amendment and we oppose you. And, you know, when the stacks are that high against you, you might say, this battle, I'm not going to take it on. But I think it's proof that we can take on battles that are seemingly impossible and we can win. (laughs) Well, I think that's a perfect note to end on. That we can win, indeed. And thank you so much for your time. We just really, really appreciate you being with us today and sharing your insight and your wisdom with us. It was my pleasure. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. And do not forget about the LI event 
with Nikki Haley coming up on Thursday, April 22nd at 8 p.m. Uh, you can visit the Leadership Institute website. That's leadershipinstitute.org to register. And we'll also be sure to put all that information in the show notes. Before we go, as always, concerns need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a wonderful week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.